tú me pones un, un éxito. Si, si tú no quieres hablar conmigo, dímelo para yo no llamarte ni molestarte, porque nada más quedaba tú. Real talk. Real people. Real stories. The He's Just Podcast. Yeah! Welcome, everyone, to another He's Just Podcast. I'm your host and founder of the He's Just a Social Worker Movement, Jules Duget, with another amazing show for you today. But before we get started, I want to remind everyone that this platform was built because too often as people, we were overlooked, we were labeled and put in boxes. But this is no longer. Our plight and our fight is for anyone and everyone who feels a need to be understood. We are strong as individuals, but unstoppable when we unite. Today's guest is a sister, a friend, and a mentor to me in so many ways. She's so special. I'm talking about Ms. Jacqueline Kolb Roberson, better known to me as Jackie Rowe. She's a full-time school social worker. She's worked at several schools for years. In addition, she's worked part-time helping students, youth learn about enrichment programs through the Carver Community Center and for the Horizon Student Enrichment Programs. She's also served as a Dean of Students and academic coach to students, helping them every week learn what they need to be successful. She's worked as a suicide prevention counselor, served as an assistant director on InfoLine for the 211 program. She's also a former probation officer with Superior Court in Juvenile Matters and as a child abuse and neglect investigator for the state of Connecticut in the DCF program, specializing in investigations, allegations of child sexual abuse matters. Jackie has a master's degree from the University of Connecticut and Amherst College for a woman, for women on a full academic scholarship where she obtained a Bachelor of Arts in sociology with a minor in Spanish and psychology. She is a proud daughter. She is the daughter of six children who originated from a small rural town in North Carolina. She was educated in Stanford Public Schools and graduated from West Hill High School in 1973 as a member of the school's first graduating class. She also has her spirituality game intact where she attends New Vision International Ministries in Bridgeport, where she's worked in the past with the middle school youth as well. She has won numerous awards for volunteer efforts in the state of Connecticut, Woman of the Year in Stanford, and the list goes on and on. I'm very proud to introduce to you my friend, Jackie. Welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Good to be here. Jackie, I'm going to say that this show was overdue because when you and I began this conversation, as difficult as it was for the two of us, we both agreed that if it were to happen, that we would do this together. So I'm honored that you've taken this time. Tell us a little bit about yourself so people can learn about who you are. Tell us about your journey and your walk. My journey has been a, a very roundabout journey. Uh, as a matter of fact, I am I am one of six kids um, and, you know, I grew up with, you know, extreme poverty as many of us have, have experienced, but as uh, a seventh and eighth grader, I was in getting into trouble, getting in fights, getting suspended from school and went on. And even when I went to high school, 
um, a school guidance counselor said to me one day, she said, you know, Jackie, you could keep getting into trouble, keep getting suspended from school, or you can do something with your God-given talents because you're an intelligent young person and you can get connected to some of these programs that are geared to help minority students to be successful. And she referred me to a program that took me out of my comfort zone and sent me to uh, live on the campus of the University of Bridgeport, as a matter of fact, as a 15 year old every summer until I graduated high school. And I think it was that program that really changed the trajectory of my own life because you know I had siblings that were getting into trouble and I was headed down that same path and had you know had a, a, rec a record for juvenile you know for fighting in the community a, you know a juvenile record so I was heading in a very negative path but yet there was a school counselor who felt that I had the potential she connected me to the program that had changed the direction of my life and for that I'm very very grateful because of my six siblings I was blessed enough to get a full scholarship to go to college and you know, ended up with the full fellowship in my master's as well as my bachelor's degree. So I was blessed in that regard. Well, thank you for sharing that story. And I know that as a therapist yourself, you look back to those days and pour back to us. So I'm very, I'm very proud. Today's show is a really a conversation between social workers because many times we get tackled with numerous situations and grief being one of them. And you and I most recently have struggled with the same situation. And people may think that as social workers, we must have the tools. We must understand how to heal. There's no real process to this. So can you tell us a little bit about what happened to you in this world of grief most recently? You know, and, you know, just being in life, you, you experience a lot of losses. But within a year's period of time, I lost my brother, six months later, I lost my daughter, as well as other people, you know, as a result of COVID, it was a total of 17 family and friends that I lost within the COVID, the two years of the COVID uh, epidemic. So the grief of losing a child, there is no comparison to the grief that I've experienced with the other losses. And I love my brother, did everything I could for him supported him in, in the rehab facility that he was in, did everything I could to make his life comfortable and was there you know, practically until he took his last breath. And that was a devastating loss in and of itself. But the loss of, of my child, there, there are no words sufficient to express the depth of the sadness that I still feel, you know? Mm -hmm. And you know, as a mental health provider, you're, you're supposed to be able to pour into other people and you're supposed to understand and people are, you know, somebody even had a nerve to tell me one day, which I thought was the craziest thing ever. Um, your daughter wouldn't want you to have a pity party. And I almost slapped them because you think this is a pity party that you want to be sad, you want to be depressed, you want to feel overwhelmed, you want to feel unmotivated to get up, even to take a shower, get dressed and do the things that you normally would do. Nobody wants to wake up or not wake up and, and, and feel that kind of pain, but yet that was what I was experiencing. And the thing that I still struggle with is it, it doesn't make sense. And I keep trying to make sense of something that makes no sense. My daughter was 41 years old and she had ovarian cancer and she fought it for seven years. So she bounced back. 
seven, three different times where she was de determined clear and she, uh, you know, was in remission and we were hopeful. But this last bout that she, um, that plagued her, she died within a matter of weeks. And I, I was angry with God, first of all, and I'm a Christian, love God. And everybody quotes the scriptures, all things work together for the good, for them that love the Lord and for those that are called according to his divine purpose. It was God's will. And, you know, spiritually, I've heard all those things all my life because I'm a Christian and I, I believed all those things. But yet I experienced an anger with him because I was like, you know, people sing that song, you could have called 10,000 angels, but you died alone for you and for me. Well, why didn't you spare my child or her life? A 41-year-old that was a teacher, an educator that gave, I mean, of herself and wrote books about, you know, children, had her own uh, LLC, her own foundation that she gave cancer gift bags to people that were dealing with cancer, that she gave polka dot baby blankets to children that were in the hospital that were dealing with cancer. This was a person who gave and contributed to life, who had done everything she could to get her doctorate degree except the dissertation, to complete all the coursework and was scheduled to complete her dissertation to get her doctorate degree in educational leadership. And, and so I was angry with God because I was like, she had so much to live for, so much to give, and yet she's not here. And then I have um, people that, that I know, I have a friend who has a, a parent that's 96 years old, just mean-spirited, racist, doesn't like black people and just rude and disrespectful and, you know, just not a nice person, yet she gets to be 96 years old. So I was angry with God about those things. And I still wrestle with the why, why my child that had so much to give and so much more that she could have given, why is she not here? And then for me to, to go, to be in a position to go back to work and to hear other kids' issues and to be mentally prepared to deal with their issues and drama because kids are dealing with a lot of things too. I was just not mentally able to do that. So I took the time that I felt that I mentally needed to be able to, to pull myself together because I felt like I had nothing to give then. So I took the time off. So work. Jackie, I want to I wanna first say thank you so much because I had the the blessing to meet your daughter as well. She was an incredible social worker. And I think that those people that know Jackie personally, mm -hmm. I'm going to say that there was a student, even though that she was a teacher, mm -hmm. that she provided social work for. Because mm -hmm. the therapy that she provided for this student that we shared in common was not a teacher-like. And, and she wore these beautiful hats like simultaneously. And I know that the title was teacher, but to me, she was able to do this in a drop of a dime. You were sitting in, in PPT meetings and she would advocate for her kids like they were her own and everything that you said there stands true. But the one thing I want listeners to understand is that the process of grief is very difficult. It and is. you may have heard Jackie talk about anger but there's a, there's a stage process. There's denial, there's anger, there's bargaining, there's depression, there's acceptance. And those of us who have lost a loved one truly understand how difficult this is. You know, we worked together on a crisis team 
and were deployed at times to support students. How different has that been for you after experiencing the loss of your daughter now? It, it's painful and it's, it's, it's a challenge. As a matter of fact, I have a student uh, that I'm dealing with right now who ironically, she lost her mother a year ago in September of last year. Hmm. And it turns out that she lost her mother to the same illness that my daughter has. And she lost her mother that she was being treated by the same doctor that my daughter had. And just as cases, you know, we don't get to determine who, who the kids we get to work with. They are referred to us and they are assigned to us and they're on our caseloads. So as I'm talking to this young lady about her experience of losing her mother, it was, it was something very comforting to me to be able to reach out to her and explain to her, I get it. I understand. Yes. I'm saying to myself, my daughter had that very same doctor. My daughter also went to the Bennett Cancer Center. My daughter also struggled with ovarian cancer. So I'm feeling that this, that, you know, I have experienced this, this incredible pain, but I also have a responsibility to help this young girl to deal with her incredible pain too. She's 17, I'm 68 in terms of being able to help her and really understand and help her process her loss. I'm in a great position to be able to help her do that because I also can identify with some of the same things that she's experienced in losing her mother when I lost my daughter to the same illness to, and be, being treated by the same doctor uh, within a two week period. Hers was September 2022. My daughter was October 2022. So it's it's ironic that these things happen, but that's where the spiritual piece comes in because that's a divine intervention. She could have easily been assigned to two other people in my building, but she was assigned to me. So I have a responsibility to try to help her process her loss and be supportive of her cry with her if I need to cry with her, but also help her understand that your feelings are real. Yes, it, it was the devastating thing to lose your parent, your mom, and you're 17 years old. And that's a reality that I have to help her process and understand. But I also have to help her deal with that pain of that loss and help her learn to adjust because these are the things that I'm having to do to adjust to my new normal. And that new normal will never, ever, ever be the same because my daughter was an important part of my life. She, she spent every, every Sunday, we had family dinner. She showed up at my house with her little puppy and you know we talked every single solitary day. So I had to have some new normals, normal things that I have to adjust to. And I have to be able to help process that with my students as well, because my students are dealing with all kinds of grief, mothers that have passed, uh, grandparents that have passed, even um, their are pets that have gone on that they were very much attached to. So a loss is a major thing that people don't really understand. And people think, oh, it was just a dog. It was just a cat. Oh, you'll get over it. Mm -hmm. But loss is a loss. And I'm glad you brought this up, Jack, because to me, um, the grieving process is not linear. And I remember when I lost my mom in May of this year, you were one of the first people that I called. Mm -hmm. And I struggle with this still today because I know how hard it is to really have something that you used to have and no longer have it. 
And I do also understand how difficult it is for us to supposedly be able to do things in the normal way of doing these things. In that, in me having you, not only because you have dealt with it, but because we are connected, it brings me comfort to hear from you. And I remember that I vowed to stay near you and my mom was still alive then. Yeah. But there was a purpose behind you and I being connected. And I text you and I called you. I did all of the things possible to remind you of what you mean to me. And I, and I want to use this time to really thank you because you are one of the purposes why I'm able to get up and do this because I truly know how difficult it was for you. And I thank you for that, friend, truly from the bottom of my heart. And I still struggle, but I still am able to call you. So I'm asking listeners, having therapy, being a therapist, having skills does not give you experience to deal with this. We are also human. And like you said, having these phone calls, these dinners, I struggle every day at three o'clock. After I get out of work, I'm supposed to speak to my mom and I remind myself she's no longer there. So I have to play voice messages of time she was telling me off on the phone, but I still play them because I understand that it brings me closer to her. You know, is there any advice that you have for our listeners of what they can do when they're struggling with grief? When I'm dealing with grief and first of all, it's real. You have to deal with it. You have to process it. And there are days when I cry. There are days when I go to the cemetery because I find comfort in visiting her at the cemetery. There are days when I, I will, something will pop up in on my Facebook and I can't watch it and I have to turn from it. Um, her, my daughter had, she was a member of a sorority and they have lots of, you know, videos of her on trips and with her dancing and moving and and being silly. There are days when I just can't watch that Mm -hmm. because the reality of the loss is too devastating for me to watch. And then there are days when, you know, there would be something that will remind me or some, some funny story that, uh, that has happened and, you know, I can laugh about it. So it's, it's grief is a process, the denial of, of, you know, the anger and all those things are, those are all processes that you have to go through. And for the first time in my life, and I've had lots of traumatic experiences in my life, including being, uh, you know, a victim of abuse as a child and dealing with all kinds of, of family drama and things of that nature. There have been many, many times that I have felt like I needed to talk to somebody, but I never reached out. I was like, you know, I could get, I got this. I'm a resilient person. I can handle this. I'm, I can do this on my own. But the loss of my daughter took it to a whole nother level for me. And then I actually reached out and sought help and went to see somebody to help me for a six, you know, it was a six month period of time, but to help me process it because I felt like I was seriously losing it. You know, I couldn't accept the reality of the loss and I was, I, I needed somebody to help me talk talk to. Like I'm sitting in a room right now and I have a wall that's dedicated to family memories. And my daughter is in each one of those pictures. Sometimes I could sit here and I could keep working and I'm okay with it. 
And then there are other times that I'm sitting there, I'm so mad because, you know, you're not here. You're supposed to be here. Why did this happen to me and to my child? So it, you know, it's a process. There are going to be days when you handle it just fine and you're going to get through and you're going to be busy and you're not even going to spend time dwelling on it and being sad. And then there are some days that are triggers that are very difficult. Like this year, each holiday or each event was a trigger for me. The Mother's Day was very devastating because my daughter, who was a Louboutin, Louis Vuitton person, mm -hmm. always showered me with all kinds of expensive things that I would never buy for myself. I wouldn't pay $1,600 for a purse, but my daughter would pay that for me. So for, for this Mother's Day, it wasn't even about the purse. It was about the fact that she wasn't here this Mother's Day. Um, just last week, October 10th, was the anniversary of her death. And that was a very difficult day for me. But I had to get through it because what other choice did I have? So I spent that day going to her gravesite, and I get there and there's polka dot balloons all over because other friends had been there. There were flowers all over her gravesite. And my heart was warmed by that because not only was I experiencing the loss and the remembrance, but she was so loved by so many other people that they were too. Mm. So my heart was warmed by that. You know, one of the things that I often say that I try to use for myself and I tell clients when I'm working with them as well is try to stick to your routines. And I know how difficult that may be. And you talked about staying to the work, making sure you're touching other people because that is what you're great at. And work for many is very tedious and difficult. And in this work, it is very difficult for us and tedious. But I also find that it also has allowed us to feel normal, to feel back like we're relevant. So like you said, there are times that it hits you in different waves because it is different. But I also feel that sticking to your routine, staying true to what you do always is a great way. I remember one night I called you after the next day. There was a night that I said, I went to the bathroom in the middle of the night and then there was this song playing. I did not play that song. I did not turn that song on and it was one of my mother's songs and I was having a moment. I was like, what in the world is that? Spirituality is a big piece to this, and I know that you practice a lot. What are things that your spirituality has done for you in the positive in the midst of all of this? It It's taken me a minute to get back into it as much as I, you know, because I Tuesday nights, Sundays all day, you know, that's, that's how I operate in terms of uh, my relationship with God. And it, 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 I went through a period of really being angry with him because mm -hmm. I didn't understand. But I do believe that ultimately, that there used to be a song years ago that says, we'll understand it better by and by. And I was telling God, well, I don't get the by and by yet. I don't understand it yet. Mm -hmm. But I'm getting to a point where I'm understanding it better. And I know that I have to trust his plan because ultimately... All things do work together for the, them that love the Lord, for those that are called according to his divine purpose. I believe that my daughter was called for a divine purpose. I wish that her purpose was 
for her to me to go before her because it wasn't the order that I expect as a mom. Mm -hmm. But as my son so eloquently stated, the day that my daughter died, when I was I was frantic, I was you know why God I don't get it I don't understand. She's only forty one, and my son who is not a person who goes to church or really believe he grew up, but you know, he's an adult, he's 46, he does his own thing. And he really does not, is not really connected to our church. He says, mom, at 41, she lived her purpose. We don't understand it, but God understands it. And that's the reality that you have to accept. Mm -hmm. There are people who have lived a hundred years who've not had the values or the experiences that your, my daughter has had in terms of she traveled the world, PhD candidate, gave of herself, her own business, wrote seven children's books. There are people who lived a lifetime and did not have these experiences. She lived and loved life and lived a purposeful life, even though it was only for 41 years. And that's the reality that I have to eventually come to grips with. And periodically in the back of my, my mind, I'll hear her voice saying, when I feel like I'm going to lose it, because there are days when I feel like I'm going to lose it, mm -hmm. just consumed by sadness and tears, I will hear her saying, mom, you got this. Mm. And then I'm okay. Because wow. that is her, you know, reminding me that she's in, she's in, in an okay place. She doesn't have to deal with chemo anymore. She doesn't have to deal with the side effects of all the harsh drugs and the realities that she was facing on a day-to-day -day basis, the port in her chest and the, you know, the harsh medications that she was having to deal with, the up and downs of, do I have it? Did it come back? Is it gone? Am I in remission? Am I not in remission? I mean, her life was a roller coaster for seven long years. Mm -hmm. So there's a piece about it when you realize that she no longer has to suffer and she's no longer having to do with deal with this. And, you know, the, um, one of the pe people that was there, my, my sister, the day my, my sister, my daughter died, she said, you know, Jackie, you need to have the conversation with Laban because her worry is that, are you okay? Hmm. <laughs> Excuse me for getting upset, but it's okay, honey. It's okay. That is the hardest conversation to have because although I had it and I said, you know, Vaughn, if you're tired of the fight, I am going to be okay. Because she was always worried about what about my mom? She was more worried about me and I was extremely worried about her. And when I told her that I was going to be okay, Within hours, she transitioned because I think she was waiting for somebody, waiting for me to say that it was okay. Well, realistically, it's not okay. <laughs> but if that was the piece that I she needed to have before she gave up the fight, then I felt like I needed to have it. And she transitioned and went on um, to the next life. The times that was, I, that was hard. The that was times hard. I dealt with her, Jackie. I'm going to say this. Um, 
just stout, just a beautiful woman, beautiful woman, physically, internally, just beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm listening to you talk about how your son played this out. And this woman wrote books, changed lives. Can you talk a little bit about that? But before you do, I just want to remind people when, when a, when a parent loses a child, that is the most difficult thing that can ever happen because we are wired to believe that the story is the parents go first, we set the kids up, yeah. then they follow us and they do that. So please understand how difficult this is and will be because continuously it is a battle and a struggle that we won't win because emotions come on their own. And that's totally, totally acceptable. We have to be able to realize that, that these things happen to us without control. And the one thing that I want to tell people to remember before you tell us about the books is do not call someone who is dealing with this and ask them, are you okay in reference to this? Mm -hmm. Try to normalize what you usually talk about without inviting that conversation. Please allow the person to share with you if they are comfortable to talk about that. It's not that you're thinking that you don't care and it doesn't sound like this person doesn't care. If you say to someone, are you okay? How have things been? Okay. Hey, have you still been working with these kids and how you been and whatever? I think that that is a lot better understood than telling someone, I know what you're dealing with. I know how you feel and you need to get up pick yourself up, you know, man up or whatever. Please, people, give people opportunities to grieve in peace in their own way. But tell us about these books and which one is your favorite, by the way. My favorite one is uh, her, the character was based on if she ever had a child and she was not able to have children because of the ovarian cancer. She said she always wanted a daughter named Nia. Nia means purpose. Yeah. And her life purpose was to share the stories of Nia and Nia finding her purpose in life. And Levon found her purpose in life. And that was to work with kids and to write books about Nia's purpose. One of the books that is my absolute favorite is Nia teaches her grandfather to read. And it's really based on a true story because mm -hmm. my father was illiterate and her grandfather on her mom, on her dad's side also did not, they were rural, grew up in the rural South where education was not, you know, encouraged, they worked in the fields on the farm, they didn't go to school, so they never learned to read or write. So as a result, this Nia character teaches her grandfather to read because when my daughter found out that her grandfather couldn't read is because he was, a, uh, he was appointed a deacon at church. And he was very nervous about it because he would have to go read before the church. And he said, I, I can't read. So her, she went out, bought tapes and brought out everything that she could to help him learn how to read. And she taught her grandfather to read. So the book is based on a true story of her teaching her grandfather to read. And that is my favorite book because I know it, it was such an important story for her because my daughter adored her grandfather. Mm -hmm. her, her gampa, we used to call him gampa. She absolutely adored him. And what gives me solace is knowing that gampa died a year ago before. He was 90 years old, but he was vibrant, healthy, strong man. And when he took sick and died, it was devastating for all of us. And even though I've been divorced from her 
bottle for 25 years, I'm still very much attached to the, my in-laws. And his, the loss of my of Gampa was very devastating. But what gives me peace is knowing that Levon is with Gampa. Mm. Gampa taking care of his granddaughter and she adored him. So to know that they're in heaven, rocking the heavens together, that mm -hmm. gives me joy because I know how much she adored him. I'm wondering if she has a Louis V bags up there too, because you know she'd be styling. But and her Louboutin shoes. That's right. <laughs> the one thing I want to say: the book is a smash. I know Nia, the kids love it, and I plan if you still have copies, I want to put the link on our website so that people, if they're able to, can purchase the book. It is a great, beautiful story, and this is a great way to connect with this beautiful family and the things that she was able to accomplish so much in so little time, but she was just amazing. You know, I when, know that you can get it on Amazon. Uh, I know that um, Stanford schools bought them for all their third graders. Mm -hmm. And we have some as well, yeah. but at the, at the same time, I want to make sure that we download some of that and I'll put it on the website. So it'll link up to Amazon and people can purchase those okay. that are listening. I want to I want to talk to the listeners about this process and for everyone is different. I remember when my mom was battling, I understood that the time was nearing and I remember the last time her and I spoke on the phone, it just felt weird. You got these feelings and I'm like, I don't know what was wrong. And I went home and called her again and she was still talking, but still not all there. Even though, you know, the moment comes when you finally hear the news and I wrote a blog about this, which is, you know, that that shock phase that you first get. That that surprise of just hearing those words are so difficult, that sting and that shock. How difficult was that, even though you understood what was here in front of you and it was time? How difficult is that? The, the thing about it is that I actually took her to the hospital on Saturday because she was acting strange and not really herself and wasn't feeling well. And they kept her in the hospital and said, well, you know, the cancer has spread into her liver and into uh, her stomach. And I, I was like, but, you know, and we need her to, you know, we need to keep her in for a couple of days or whatever. And then the very next morning, so I leave the hospital and go home. And my son stayed at the hospital with her and a couple of girlfriends. And the next morning, my son calls and says, mom, you better get here. And I said, why? What happened? We, I didn't expect her to die that day. I genuinely did not. I expected her to recover because she had recovered so many times before. And he said, her doctor is there's about 10 people in her room and her doctor is in tears. And I was like, her doctor's in tears. Why? What, what's going on? He said, it doesn't look good for her. So I immediately got dressed and went up to the hospital. She actually died that day. And we didn't, it was such a shock because we didn't expect her to die that day. So I didn't feel like I had, you know, I didn't have the time and the days to process it. It was, that day and that nine o'clock that night she was gone mm. so it was it was it was there there are no words there are no words to hear that your daughter is not going to make it because i just assumed that she was going to bounce back because i was not ready for her to die i was not ready to hear those words 
And when they said, when he said the doctor's crying, I knew that this doctor had been with her for seven years. If he was to the point where he was crying, it had to be serious. So I immediately rushed up to the hospital and only to learn there was no more hope for her. And that in and of itself is, is devastating to know that there, there is no hope left because I lived and always hoped that there was hope. Yeah, and we gotta live by that. And, and one of the things I remember about this process is that initially when you first get the news, you start thinking about who to blame. A lot of times you're like, I should have done this. I should have did this. What about this person? They didn't do this the right way. And this is all normalized. I want people to understand that, that there's no right way and there's no wrong way about this. But what I think is important is that when you do get the information, it is difficult for you to understand. And what is the most difficult time is that People, family, friends, whoever, who are concerned, the natural thing to do is, what are we doing and when we're going to do it? It becomes so instant. And you just shared that this is something we're not ready for. And you were not. I was not. And no one ever will probably be, even if they knew the time and when and the date. But I do think that on top of this, the grieving part that makes it so difficult is that process. What do we do next? Who do we invite? Where do we go? Coroner. We start hearing all these words of people yeah. that we don't want to be associated with. And yeah. somehow, some way we become connected to things that we don't want to be connected to. And that is extremely difficult. What are some of the things that have helped you cope with this after her loss? Like, What are things that work for you and I know you mentioned sometimes looking at the picture, sometimes hearing music, but what are things that help you cope throughout the day? Because these thoughts come on their own so our listeners can kind of tap into that. What helps me is really being busy. Mm. When I was home and I had nothing but time, I struggled even more. But being back at work and knowing that I'm needed and my services are important to other people and giving of my time and energy and my talents, mm. that has really been a blessing in disguise because it, 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 I don't have so much time to dwell on my sadness mm. because uh, there's kids that need my support. There's meetings that I have to attend. There's reports that I have to write and I don't have 24 hours of my day to focus in on my loss. Now, I, there was a, a time when I, I didn't want to come straight home from work. I was going to get my nails done. I was going to the grocery store. I was stopping at somebody's house, but you know, one of my kids, my other, my son's house, or my sister-in-law's, or or whatever. Going to the Goodwill, going to TJ Maxx or Marshall, because I didn't want to go be home because being home represented sadness. It represented being alone mm. with my private thoughts and my thoughts of my daughter, my thoughts of my loss. Whereas if I'm out being busy, giving of myself. And, you know, helping other people, I have less time to dwell on it. So, you know, that that's what's been beneficial for me. The, the thoughts are going to come and they are a reality. There are, you know, there are still days when I'm, I'm sad and irritable or, or whatever. Um, and I'm depressed about it. But I went through a dark 
period of being depressed where I didn't want to deal with other people. I didn't really want to go out. I didn't really want to do the things that I'm used to doing. But my daughter also loved the traditions of Sunday dinners. I still cook a big Sunday dinner for everybody to come over. I still, you know, go to the Goodwill because that was one of my favorite things to do. I still love going to Home Goods. That was one of her favorite things to do. So still doing the things that we did as a family, that we did together, and that were important to us and that were important to me even without her, I think is really an, an important thing to do as well. Well, I want our listeners to know that you and I, I have always wanted to challenge each other on this cookout thing because you keep telling me about how good you cook and I tell you about how good I cook. So that's been something. And for those of us who do know Jackie, she is just as beautiful as you hear her today and see her today. But she is trouble when it comes to the meetings too. She fights really hard to make sure that everyone's needs are met. And we love her for that because I think that these are the things that make her Jackie Rowe. Now, one of the things that I want to learn about as a parent, and I have not have had to deal with this, and many of our listeners have, as a parent, what strategies you think are helpful for someone who loses their daughter, their son? What are things that they can do? It's tough because I think you have to you know, the, the thing that's important that I think it, you, you can't lose sight on sight of is the fact that you have to continue to maintain um, your focus on your purpose by not worshiping that person that is gone, but recognizing the fact that this, you love them, they're your child, and you will always, always, always grieve over the fact that they're not here anymore but they would not want you to give up on life and to give up on your dreams and, and to, to not do those things to keep the memory alive. I keep my daughter's memory alive by continuing her NIA foundation, by continuing to be involved in the projects that she um, loved and were near and dear to her heart. I continue to keep her memory alive by being involved in the Polka Dot Blanket Project, um, sharing her books with other people. So keep your child's memory alive because, and I don't stop talking about her as, as I might cry about her as I'm sharing a story about her, but I'm not gonna whisper about her. I'm not gonna keep her out of off of my lips because other people are uncomfortable with the fact that she's no longer here. Mm-hmm. She, her, her memory, and her passion and her purpose is going to remain alive in me. So therefore I'm keeping her alive by doing so. You can't just not talk about your child. You can't put away all the pictures and, and you know, you know, put away their things and as though they never existed. My daughter was very much a part of my life. She was very much a part of this community's life. They just had a big celebration at her elementary school to honor her. There's a whole section in the library uh, dedicated to her with her favorite quote uh, that she learned from Hampton University. There's a picture of her, uh, a plaque of her on the wall about her purpose. Her books have been framed on the wall because she was an important person, person and member of that school community. So these are the things that I think as a parent that I have to do that gives me peace knowing that her her memory and her legacy continues to be relevant in the lives of other people. I was at the the cemetery yesterday and somebody left a note and it was 
such a cute note that somebody left on her gravesite, and it says, good, better, best, never let it rest until your good is better and your better is your best. That was her mantra from Hampton University. Somebody scribbled that on a piece of paper and left it at her gravesite. It says, LaVon taught us this saying. She was a proud and loved member of our staff. She showed us how to be our best always and forever. And she filled our hearts with love and kindness. And she's never going to be forgotten by any of us. She imparted not only this in our lives, but the world. And we can say that as a consumer, the world is a better place because she was in it. I will miss her. I, it hurts that she's gone, but she's still alive in our hearts. And it definitely made a difference in our lives. We love you, Miss Levon. Keep shining in the heavens. And a, some parent or somebody left that on her gravesite yesterday. So mm. these are the things that keep me going because our life, I, I spoke at a, at a, a person's uh, memorial service yesterday and I read a poem about the dash and the dash is an important poem. And I want your listeners to read that poem because in the dash, it's when they put you in your obituary, they put your birth date and they put your end date, but it's the dash, what's in between those dates that mm. really matters. What contributions have you made to society and mm. to the world, to your community, to your family that you want people to remember you for? What is it that you want to be said at your, at your demise? When you are no longer here, what do you want to be known for? All the things that you've accomplished in your life. My daughter left a lot of dashes. She mm -hmm. left her, her imprint on many people and they loved her. She gave of herself into this community. And as a result, the dash is what I want to focus in on. Not her birth date, not her death date, but the dash in between those dates is the, really the most relevant thing that I want to focus in on and to remember of my child. That is beautiful. And I think you brought in beautiful tips for parents to remember. I know many parents, when they go through this struggle, they begin to frame pictures. That's okay. They begin to keep the room just as it was and not touch anything. That's okay. They buy more clothes to symbolize the ones they had. Sometimes they give away the clothes to friends. I had a friend that passed and, and his mom um, decided to, he used to love rock and roll t-shirts and colorful t-shirts. And she gave everyone a t-shirt that he would wear. So we all symbolize in that way. So I love that you're able to touch people with the dashes and that people are able to shine in their particular way. So thank you for parents who are listening that they can really touch in with this and say, hey, listen, whatever I'm doing to recognize my child is great because to me, they see me, they see us. So I think that it's a beautiful way that you are holding tribute and blessed to all the people that continue to shine and show up to touch on those things that I do believe are so important to you and to your family. What are some of the challenges that you're still up against in balancing work? And I know that staying busy is one of the ways, but how difficult is the balance for people who are dealing with losing a child, losing a loved one that you think are super important to understand about making it work? It's, it's called putting one foot in front of the other. And some days it's just that. You got to keep it moving in spite of. There are days that are difficult. There are days that are sad. There mm -hmm. are days that are overwhelming. 
But the goal, my goal is to still keep moving. Keep put one foot in front of the other. You get up, take your shower, get dressed, and you do something. Mm. Because to lay around in the bed and be consumed with the grief is overwhelming and it's also depressing and it puts you in a dark state. I choose to not do that because I choose to get up, show up, not only for myself, but also showing up for the kids and my young charges that I'm responsible for helping. And in that is very therapeutic for me, is doing just that. A lot of love and respect to you and your family for trying to do that. I know how difficult that is yeah. in trying to hold up when you know something is missing. But you doing that, I do believe, is honoring her. And I like to cook like my mother's favorite dishes and her favorite salads and things that she would do because it gives me this opportunity. One of the things that my mom gave me like many like years ago was these big pots where she would cook the food. She loved to cook. So whenever gatherings do happen for me, I usually try to get these big pots out. I think that's why the food tastes good because it's in her pots, not nothing special. <laughs> but I think that a lot of that connection really comes to that. Yeah. You know, you talked about time. And for me, those are the things that really um, speak to the difficulty of this. What can you tell listeners, parents, friends who have lost friends at a young age who still years to this day are still struggling with grief because this is not a linear process? What can you tell people who are struggling with this how difficult this process is and is going to be? It's... And everybody deals with it differently. Um, it, Whatever time you need, whatever support you need, feel free to seek that out. Feel free to take the time that you need. And also recognizing the fact that no, everybody's different. How I grieve, how Jewel grieves, it's all different. Everybody has to find their own path in terms of, of overcoming it. Um, I just think that it's, 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 you know, I, I have a sister who lost a two-year-old, lost a child when he was two years old. He would be in his fifties now, but my sister was never the same after losing her child. So for some people, life will never be the same for you. You can develop a new normal, but it will never be like it was prior to you losing that child. And that's a reality that you have no choice but to, to come to grips with. Mm-hmm. And if you need help coming to grips with it, by all means, get that help, whether it is through your church or your temple, your mosque or whatever it is, or private therapy or counseling through a public service agency, seek whatever support you need to help you overcome it. But if it's beginning to impact your your future, your livelihood, your peace of mind, your happiness, your joy, and you can't find joy, maybe it is time to seek some additional support and that you do need to see somebody about it. I did, and I have no regrets about it, but it's definitely a process for each and everybody, each and every person on an individual basis. You know, social workers, we struggle with this and grief. No one's prepared for this. I don't care what profession you're in. You you lose someone that you love. There's no way about this. You got to be, you know, human. You got to take this in the way that you can, but it's so difficult in so many different ways. And when I lost my best friend, it's so difficult for me. Mm-hmm. And it has been, and it will, and it will always be because she meant so much to me. It's the person who I went to for advice. Mm-hmm. When I needed to be told off. That's the first person that did that. 
So there's so many things that she filled for me. And mom, I know that we're dedicating this to you and we're dedicating this to your daughter as well. But tell me about your self-care. What do you do for self-care um, to try to stay level amongst this? My faith is also very important to me. My relationship with God, I listen to gospel music. There are some songs that, you know, are just very uplifting. If I go to get my nails done, I, I love to go to Goodwills. I'm a bargain hunter. I love to create things on my cricket machine. You know, I love to create, uh, you know, brochures and flyers and programs for people. So there's a lot of things that I do. I crochet if I'm, I, I made a baby blanket while I was at home dealing with the, the loss of my daughter. And I, and I made it pink and white and had nobody pregnant. And then one of my closest friends found out she's having a girl. So I didn't know I was making a pink and white blanket for her, but the blanket's already made. And I didn't even know she was pregnant at the time. So, you know, you do things that, that bring you joy and creating things and doing things for other people brings me joy. Cooking, I love to cook. I, I'm a Southern food cooker, so I'm very good at, uh, you know, making those traditional Southern, feel, Southern meals. Um, you know, I like working with kids, so I create programs and activities for kids. I might do a sister-to-sister -sister girls group where, um, you know, I might have a bucket and they put questions in a bucket and, and I come, they you know, at the Carver Center, we may have a, a girls' night out, or I, I just took a group of kids, 10 kids to a famous pizza for dinner the other day, just to, you know, just to connect with them to see how they're doing and see how they're transitioning. I taught them in eighth grade and I wanted to see how they were transitioning to high school. So I got them together. Well, let's meet for pizza and let's get an update. Those things bring me joy because not only do I get to hear what they're doing, but I get to be an encourager for them. And I'm also a mentor. I have a, a young uh, two students that I'm the mentor to. So I'm like a big sister. So there's lots of things that bring me joy that I also do. Um, not only for myself, but I also do it in, in giving to other people. And the scripture says, given it shall be given, good measures pressed down, shaken together, shall men give into your bosom. You cannot receive with your hands closed. In order for me to be blessed, I have to be a blessing to someone else. So mm. I like to bless other people and it always comes back to be returned to me. Do you have any plans about how to uplift your daughter's name moving forward? Do you have anything that you think you want to dive into to keep her legacy going? You got any plans? Well, she, you know, she has the, the, um, 5013C, I think that's what it's called. The, uh, the, now I am Nia foundation. I, uh, planned her girlfriend, her best friend is actually in the process. I just had to ship a whole binder and a whole bunch of information to her because now that my daughter's deceased, we have to establish a new, um, president of that foundation. And once that's done, we will continue to do, because my daughter did, you know, the food drive, she did the blessing bag giveaways for Christmas. Um, I continue to do those things under her name, but officially we have to do it the legal way, even though I'm doing the service piece, we're keeping her legacy alive by, we're having a meeting on, matter of fact, on Wednesday to talk about the blessing bag giveaway, which my daughter collected hygiene products um, and had our sorority donate all kinds of things to give to the homeless, um, you know, gift bags to the homeless and things of that nature. We're still doing things under the Now I Am Nia Foundation, even though we have to transfer the, 
the uh, presidency of it legally. Well, your daughter was amazing. And you know, on this platform, more than just, that's why when you said teacher, she's like she's a social worker. She was giving back. She was an advocate. Yeah, she did it all. The floor is yours, my friend. Is there anything you want our listeners to remember about you, about your daughter, about the next steps, or just grief in itself? Um, the, the thing that I want you, everybody to remember is that I believe that we all have a divine purpose. And her life was about discovering, finding out what her purpose is all about, and then living in your purpose. I feel that I do, and I found that, and she did that as well. Albeit 41 years, which is not a long time in my estimation of it, uh, she still lived in her purpose and enjoyed life to the fullest. She's been all over the world, Greece, Italy, Jamaica, I mean, Mexico, Dominican Republic, uh, throughout the country, she's been, you know, experiencing, enjoying life. So she wanted everybody to figure out what your purpose is and then live it. I want everyone to live their lives to the fullest as well. I also want people to have a purpose. I want them to have that dash in the middle represent all the things that they represent because too often we don't have time to dedicate to ourselves. So yes, like Jackie Rowe was saying, live your life to the fullest, leave your footprints, leave your paw prints out there so people can see them and shine just as your beautiful daughter has done and will continue to do. Because on this platform, too often we were overlooked and we were labeled and put in boxes. But this is no longer. Our plight and our fight is for anyone and everyone who feels a need to be understood. We are strong as individuals, but unstoppable when we unite. Tune in, friends, to a new He's Just a Social Worker show coming real soon to a town near you. We out. Please note that the views expressed here are my own and not a representation of my employers and clients. Thank you for listening. We're always here for you. Just message us and we'll get back to you within 24 hours. Thank you. More than just at He's Just a Social Worker. In memory of my mother, Matilde De La Rosa, this is dedicated to you, Mom. Miss you so much. En memoria de mi madre, Matilde de la Rosa, esto va dedicado a ti, mamá. Te extraño mucho.